your friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, let's go. A little shimmy. All right, so uh, I saw a tweet uh, not too long ago. That said, August is the Sunday of the summer. You wish it could keep going on forever because September could be daunting. The summer is nearing an end. School is starting up again. But there are few months in the sports calendar that are as exciting as the one that begins today. So from the entire Tim and Friends family, a happy September 1st to you. I am Jesse Rubinoff filling in once again for my main man, Tim McAuliffe, who will be back on Monday. And you are probably wondering who is over there at my usual spot giving a little shimmy a little mini Jesse dancing. In fact, this man made his debut last Friday wearing the tightest shirt that has ever been worn Whoa. in the history of television debuts. Popeye coming into the studio, bringing his spinach. Look at this guy. It is time for a proper introduction this time around. You see his fine work every single day. Sometimes you just don't realize it because his name and face isn't plastered on it. He's been the producer of every NFL feature you've seen this week and is without a doubt one of my best friends in the business. So please give a warm welcome to Anthony Caminiti. Wow. Wow, what an introduction. First of all, yeah, what's up? it was a Friday. Oh, oh we got the tunes. Trumpet. Let's go. Oh, Song of Summer. Here Love it. Um, let me explain the shirt. End of, it was, it was a Friday. Yeah. Laundry time. Yeah. I didn't have many shirt selections, all right? So sorry, I didn't wear my TV best, but you okay. know, I got sleeves today, we're good. We're no, that's, good. that's actually funny because uh, earlier today, uh, there's a wardrobe room, obviously Tim and I have talked about it before. There's a wardrobe room that you need special access to. So uh, Tony, we were just upstairs and I was in the wardrobe room putting this blazer on. Great blazer. And Tony tried to get into the wardrobe room with the key card. Eh. Got me he's like, oh, that's weird. That never happens to me in this building. Let's try it again. <laughs> so shout out of the wardrobe room. But I got to say, you look great. You look great today. And welcome once again. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's great I'm to be here with to you. It's I'm great to be to here. It's going to uh, okay. be fun. Couldn't be more excited for what we have in store for you today. Carolyn Cameron following another electric night at Flushing Meadows. Justin Dunk joins us for the latest edition of one of my favorite segments of the week. Dink and Dunk to talk Vernon Adams to the Lions and all things CFL. Former major leaguer, now MLB analyst. Kevin Millar on the Blue Jays, Aaron Judge, Albert Pujols. It is September, so there's a lot to talk about in the baseball world. And USA Today's Jared Bell on the young quarterbacks looking to break out around the NFL. You got another one of those features cooking too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the dulcet tones of one Anthony Caminiti as we walk you through First Things First. Dulcet tones. I like that. Dulcet tones. You like that? I do like that. that. I nickname. see what that you did what there. That's what we call you. Dulcet tones. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right, Jesse. Of course, we're starting with the Toronto Blue Jays, who are off today after dropping the finale against the Cubs last night, 7-5. Mitch White struggling again, allowing six runs in four and two-thirds. The Jays finishing August with a 13-14 and record, their only losing month of the season. So, Jesse, what's it going to take over their final 33 games to get this team into the postseason? Uh, well, first of all, better performance than we saw last night. Uh, they are currently two games back of the Rays, one and a half back of the Mariners, and suddenly the Orioles went again last night, so they are just two games back. Uh, you look at what the Jays' record is right now, currently 70-59, and 59, mm -hmm. and they have 33 games remaining. So to get to about 88 wins, which is about the average 
I know the playoffs expanded, but the average of what the third wildcard team historically would have had to get to is 88 wins. That makes it 18 and 15, which seems like something that is relatively doable. They have five games in the month of October. But when you look at what has happened with the Blue Jays over the course of the months they have played in this season, this was their first sub-500 month. They haven't won more than 15 games in a single month all year. So for all the ups and downs, and we've talked about it consistently, it has been a roller coaster this season. They haven't been able to spring, string together really one excellent month. So when you look at what they're going to have to do, they're going to have to be as good, if not significantly better mm -hmm. than they have been throughout this season when it comes to specifically different months. So I'm looking at August, or I'm looking at September, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Can they get on a heater here? Because they certainly need to. You know you control your own destiny in the sense of you are going up against American League East teams a lot. You got the Orioles 10 times. You got the Rays nine times. But what you saw last night, again, it's the same old stuff. Some mental errors. It just feels like whenever this team is getting on a little bit of a run, vibes are turning up, starting to feel better about the squad. They lay a bit of an egg. Mm -hmm. And it is part of a bit of a disturbing trend with this team that we have seen really from the get-go. So another disappointing performance again uh, last night, but it is what it is against the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, can't win them all. Can't win them all. You mentioned the 18 wins to get to that 88 win mm -hmm. mark. Last year they went 22 and nine in September and October, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is it too much to ask for that again? Because like 18 wins and just limping into the playoffs is not what the expectations were for this team. So like, just come out and dominate. String together a good, not just a good series, not just a good week. I want to see a good month and a bit see, here. But right? the, issue, the issue that you've run into here in this, in this season now as we stand, they have been that good against good teams and not so good against other bad teams. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be playing the best of the best now as we cut. So yeah. the opponents are going to be better. Can you rise to the occasion here? and perform the way that we have come to expect the Toronto Blue Jays to perform, I guess, last year, not so far this year. But looking ahead, they got to be better. they got to be better because everyone expected this team to walk. You missed the playoffs by one game last yeah. year. This team was better from a roster construction standpoint, from a talent standpoint. This team was better heading into this season. We know that the expectations were higher. You're looking at who they're playing right now. They control it. They can do this. And... They have showed us that at times they have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, they run hot and cold. And this is not to say that the Jays are somehow streakier than other teams in Major League Baseball because that's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's baseball. That, that's baseball. Yeah, 162 that games, it, it happens. happens. But you have to find it within yourself as a team to get the job done. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really standing in their way. They control it, like I said. Yeah. So just get it done. Uh, Mitch White was not good again last night. Mm -hmm. Six or uh, yeah, sorry, six runs and four and two thirds. The Jays' fifth starter. What should they do about this? Because it's not good right now. No, it is not good. Uh, after the trade deadline, Ross Atkins came on this very show here for an interview with Tim, and Timmy asked him if he was confident in the depth of his starting rotation, and his answer was almost like, "Why wouldn't I be confident?" Almost like he bristled a little bit. Well, here are the numbers. In games started by Manoa, Stripling, Gossman, and Barrios, who hasn't been good either, the team is 57 and 37. That is a 606 win percentage. In games started by Kikuchi, Ryu, White, Castillo, Banda, and Hatch, the team is 13 and 22, a 371 win percentage. 606 is a 98 win pace. 
But even if you're 500 in the five spot in the rotation, you are not sweating a playoff spot like they are right now. The fifth spot in the rotation doesn't necessarily matter once you get to the playoffs, but they have to get to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And the inconsistencies from their back-end starters are playing a huge role in why this season has been disappointing in many people's eyes. This should have been better addressed at the trade deadline, quite frankly, because they knew it was a concern. They knew Barrios was having a difficult year, and now they're going to be in a dogfight with the Orioles just to get to playoff baseball. Again, a team that fell one game short a year ago is certainly rolling the dice every fifth day, and you look at the schedule, it's basically six or seven more spots out of that, starts out of that spot. So again, there is time to make it better. They can destroy the Orioles, and they can make this take a freezing cold one. But the evidence is overwhelming here, Tones, that the fifth spot has been an issue, and it should have been better addressed at the trade deadline. 100%. The, um, I remember a couple years ago, Atkins was saying and describing the plan for the team, mm-hmm. we're going to have waves of talent coming in through the system. Where has that been? Manoa was one. Great. Huge win there. Grand slam home run. Great job. Where's Nate Pearson? Every time I see a tweet on Nate Pearson, it seems like every three weeks, he's rehabbing. He's just been rehabbing all season, and I wish him nothing but health and success in the future, but where's that guy coming from? Tiedemann, he's still young, 20 years old. You're not expecting much from him anytime soon. Where's that guy, right? Go out there in the offseason, sign the free agent, keep finding these guys, grooming them up, and get solve that problem, you know? Yeah, it just feels like um, over the course of the last two seasons, we have known what the Blue Jays have needed to address at the two trade deadlines. And I think the bullpen probably took a little bit too long last season, and you ended up missing by a game. Mm -hmm. And this time around, we knew that Yusei Kikuchi was struggling immensely. Barrios, you sort of banked on him turning it around a little bit based on his track record. But his track record this season hasn't proven that he can string together start after start. So now you have two guys in the rotation who are struggling, and that means every fourth and fifth day, you're going to be behind the eight ball when the game begins. And we saw that last night. Mitch White was serving up just like meatballs at certain points, like a curveball that Horner hit for a two run. Like that was, you know, so you look at that and it's just, it's, it's, it is a bit disappointing when you look at the depth in the, in the organization because we've been waiting forever for Nate Pearson. Doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. And it's not, you know, some of it, obviously, or all of it is, injury related and it's incredibly unfortunate obviously mm-hmm. but who's the crown jewel in the organization now Manoa went came up very quickly now it's Ricky Tiedemann yeah. he's 20 like you yeah. said so it's tough. can take a couple years yeah. for sure um this was a very negative Jays conversation let's 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 pick it back up here Jays care broadcast auction last night raising more than three hundred and fifty thousand dollars great to see it's over seventy five thousand for the fishing trip with Buck Martinez which I mean Ailish wanted to bid on that. I mean, she's a fisher, as we, yeah, fisher. As we established, as we established <laughs> yesterday. Fisher. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. That is, that is so much money. And the, the 50-50, over $700,000. Awesome. Like, just an incredible success for everyone involved with the Jays Care Foundation and the broadcast auction last night. Great job by Danielle Michaud, who was there yes. all night as well. So everybody who was involved, uh, a pat on the back. And the 75 k for Buck Martinez fishing trip. Like, have a great time. Because, I mean, that is a lot of money. Blast. But I'm sure that Buck is going to make it certainly worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to have a lot more with Kevin Millar later on in the Love show. It. Some more baseball and Jays talk coming up. But let's get to Serena Williams. It was incredible scenes from New York last night. Serena turned back the clock, beating second-ranked Annette Contevet in three sets. 
to advance to the third round at the U.S. Open. At the start of the tournament, we wondered if Serena would be able to just win a match. But after last night, are you starting to believe she could actually win the whole tournament? I don't think it took very long watching the match for everyone in the building to think, uh-oh, looks like she's back. Looks like she's back. Yeah. I had said that it felt like she was slow playing the Wimbledon appearance, the National Bank Open appearance, and then the Cincinnati appearance where she didn't look like herself. But I feel like she came back trying to find how she would have to measure up to her opponents in the U.S. Open because for her, at this point of her career, this is going to be her last tournament, this is the crown jewel. Mm -hmm. So she needed to figure out a way to ramp herself up. And we've seen this in years past with Tiger Woods, for example, who we will get to in a second. But we've seen it with Tiger Woods where you can sort of pick and choose your spots mm -hmm. on the schedule of where you want to give your max effort. And I'm not saying that she didn't try to win in the others, but she wasn't at her best. And it seems like she has found a way to be back at her best when starting the tournament, you weren't sure what to expect. You know what to expect now. It's the, the powerful strokes. She's looking lighter on her feet. She said after the, uh, the break in between the second and third sets yesterday, she said she came back and she felt lighter. And it just seems like there is something going on with Serena, something special brewing. And can you imagine... Like, can you imagine? She's going to be face an unseated opponent mm -hmm. in the next round. She's going to face an unseated opponent in the round after that if she wins. She is a favorite against Ayla Tomjanovic, which is, okay, we're, this, this might actually be happening here, Tones. Like, this might actually be happening, and it will be a story for the ages. Back in our Highlight Zone days, a common phrase you would hear was uh, rooting for the story, right? You didn't really care who came out in the end, but you're rooting for the story, whatever made the best highlight pack. Whether you're a tennis fan or not, this would be an incredible story if she, if she came out and won it all. Equivalent to, like you said, Tiger at the Masters, which, mm -hmm. like, honest to God, and I'm ashamed to admit it, almost brought tears to my eyes, and I'm sure it did for you too as a big Tiger guy. Um, I want to see it. I want to see it badly. I, I, it was so electric. It was mm -hmm. so fun to watch last mm -hmm. night, and I just want more. I just didn't want it to end, honestly. I didn't realize either how close her and Tiger have become. And yeah. I, I know that Serena said in her... Vogue article uh, that, you know, Tiger has played a pivotal role in having Serena come back and try and give it her all. And uh, Serena was actually asked about uh, the influence that Tiger has had on her last night. He's one of the main, one of the reasons I'm here, one of the main reasons I'm still playing. Um, so we, we talked a lot and he was really trying to get me motivated. And there's a few people, but, you know, he was... Uh, we were like, okay, we can do this together, you know? And um, and it was good because it was like, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just lost and I, I just so many questions. And when you can rely on someone like that, I mean, my goodness, he's Tiger Woods. It just was um, really helpful to get clarity. Isn't it amazing how there's this pantheon of athletes where goats sort of surround themselves with goats, yep. the best of the best are around the best of the best. It's because when you're that good, I feel like you, you, don't, have a, you don't have peers. Yeah. There, there's so few people that you can rely on to have those kinds of conversations that Serena and Tiger have had. Who do you go to? Yeah. You can't go to someone who, who hasn't accomplished even close to what you've accomplished in your career. So to see them, like look at that shot, them walking together. Like, awesome. Those are two of the greatest to ever do it in individual sports, in sports in general. And it was very, very cool for us to see because I know we're big Tiger fans. And Serena, 
what a performance. 100%. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more tennis, especially what happened with the Canadians yeah. yesterday. Some good stuff, some not so good stuff, but we're going to move on now to basketballers. We got a Woj bomb this afternoon. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Jazz had traded Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs in exchange for the three-time All-Star Utah gets Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, the Cavs' first-round pick from this year, Ochai Agbaji, and three future unprotected first-round picks plus two pick swaps. Jesse, yeah. who wins this deal? Well, not Knicks fans, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Knicks fans are waiting on Donovan Mitchell all summer long, and that did not happen. Look, Knicks fans are waiting on everybody, it seems. <laughs> of, course, of course they are. <laughs> Everyone's this, coming to the Knicks. This is the anti-bing-bong situation for <laughs> Knicks fans. Uh, the Cavs win this deal right now, obviously. I mean, they have a core that is young, and you are going to be able to see what they can do in an Eastern Conference where they can certainly make some damage. Donovan Mitchell's 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Darius Garland's 22. Evan Mobley's 21. You lock those guys in. Donovan Mitchell's contract is still 2026. Yeah. It doesn't expire till 2026. So you have now brought over a guy who was 26 points per game last year with the Jazz. They couldn't get over the hump in Utah, and that is why they felt the need to just end it. End the experiment with him and Rudy Gobert. It wasn't, it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to happen. But that is a lot of picks and a lot of talent. You look at the guys who went back the other way. I know they haven't exactly panned out, but Colin Sexton, lottery pick. Laurie Markin, lottery pick. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the swaps and you look at the unprotected picks. It just, it, the NBA is getting into a situation here where when a big name is on the move, you're seeing three, four, five, six draft picks, swaps going the other way. This has only happened in the last three years. This never used to be a thing. You speak, oh, for a first-round pick, a first-round pick is valuable. Not anymore when you're trying to win. Yeah. And the Cavs are clearly trying to go for something here, and that is a young core that is going to be dangerous. And the Raptors angle, of course, that's just another team now that you've got to worry about in the Eastern Conference. Evan Mobley was unbelievable last year. Mm -hmm. He's going to take another step. So it's one more team that the Raps have to worry about. But the Raps were at Rico Hines camp all summer, so they're, they're going to be good too. First thing I thought of when I saw the trade was like, oh, yeah, this is why Kevin Durant wasn't traded. If that's the price for Donovan Mitchell, yeah. the price for Durant's got to be, what, 30% more than that at least? Like, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? That's huge. Good, um, good for the Nets, though, for, for sticking to that and not, you know, mortgaging everything. Well, I guess the Nets would or they're trading Durant, so they would have gotten 10 picks, but who's going to give that? Mm -hmm. Who's going to give 10 picks? Nobody. Right. Nobody can go. do it. Yeah. It's a tough sell to your owner. Uh, Sexton did sign a four-year, $72 million extension. Oh. Um, so some news there. Let's get to some football stuff because we're one week away, my friend. The Denver Broncos today have signed Russell Wilson to a five-year extension reportedly worth $245 million, including $165 million guaranteed. It's the third largest contract in NFL history in terms of guaranteed money behind only Deshaun Watson's deal with the Browns and Kyler Murray's with the Cardinals, which were both signed this offseason. Mm -hmm. Jesse, is this a good deal for the Broncos? It is a good deal for the Broncos. Uh, let me just – can I just – do this for a second and list yep. off the uh, quarterbacks that have played for the Denver Broncos, or at least started a game for the Denver Broncos. Just, just a, a sample. Okay, Brock Osweiler. This is since Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, Teddy Bridgewater. Oof. What this deal does for the Denver Broncos, they have new ownership, they have a new coach. This is stability. This is stability. And whether Russell Wilson is going to get back to his MVP ways, his Super Bowl winning ways, that remains to be seen. But Russell Wilson will still be, at worst, at worst, a top 12 quarterback in this league. And you have now locked him in for the long haul with a bevy of talent around him. 
This was always the plan. You don't shell out what you shelled out in that trade for Russell Wilson if you're not going to lock him down. So this was the Broncos' plan all along. Mm -hmm. We finally have seen it come to fruition. And I think this is a, a monumental day for the Denver Broncos organization because finally they have a quarterback that they can rely on for the long term. We will just have to see if Russell Wilson, being 33 years of age, if he gets into a situation where his skills begin to diminish rather quickly. Is he going to be Tom Brady light? He said he wants to play for the next 10, 12 years. He said he wants to get there to 40, 40 45 years of age. We're going to have to see if his skills diminish, but this is a good, good deal for the Broncos. We've been waiting so long for the let Russ cook movement to mm -hmm. actually happen. Well, mm -hmm. it's got to happen now with Denver, right? With those weapons. So there's no excuses now. Yeah. There's no excuses. There's no, oh, well, Pete Carroll's weighing him down. There's none of that. So Russell's got to put up right now or shut up and earn this money. And it's going to be good stuff for him. So I'm, I'm excited to see it in Denver. What it means for Lamar is definitely an interesting question. Um, that's still kind of lingering, right? We got a week until his kind of, Deadline that he's put on the Ravens. Doesn't have an agent hate. either, right? Doesn't have an agent. Which and is I'm not bizarre. sure a lot of people know that. And it's that's a big deal. So we haven't heard anything leaking from that. Yeah. Never heard anything that's going on with uh, the Lamar contract situation. But he's got to get paid. He's the next one. I completely uh, agree with that. All right, it's time to do some uh, women's world championship highlights as Canada facing off against Sweden, who they beat 11-0 at the Olympics back in February. Late first is where we begin. Renata Fast sends it across to Jocelyn LaRock, who scores her first ever goal at the Women's Worlds. That is a good start. Marie-Philippe Poulin grabs the milestone puck. It's one zip Canada, second period. More from the Canadians. Well, they said it might have popped out of the blue, outside the blue line. Sarah Potomac from Overgrove, BC goes end to end. What a move, what a goal! They've been waiting for that from her. Potomac. Sarah Potomac, great effort, finish. Two zip, third period, Potomac. Back to Aaron Ambrose, gets to the middle of the ice. That is a good spot to shoot from, finds its way in. Canada outshoots Sweden 57 to nine as they advance to the semifinals and win three nothing. The Americans also winning, and that is what everybody's expecting to see in the finals. They beat Hungary by a score of 12 to one. So the United States will take on Czechia on Saturday and Canada going up against Switzerland in the semifinals. All right, still to come, Jared Bell helps us continue our NFL previews that Tony has played a very big role in. Kevin Millar on the Jays and the playoff races. Justin Dunk ahead of Labor Day weekend in the CFL. And after the break, Serena Williams' run continues at the U.S. Open, and so does Carolyn Cameron's. She joins us next. Tim and Friends with Tones. Let's go. Woo. Is this really 2022? Is she really almost 41? She's Serena. Anything is possible. Well, I'm a pretty good player. <laughs> For the third straight year, Bianca Andreescu is into the third round at the U.S. Open. A 3-0 victory for the Canadians, and they've clinched their spots to the semifinal. On a 2-2, Henderson drills one, right center field and deep, and gone! Oh my goodness! His first Major League hit is his first Major League home run. The helmet is long gone, as is the ball. Monday night was the spectacle. This is the sequel 
the six-time U.S. Open champion, Serena Williams makes that walk one more time. freedom on Monday that she is now. Finally, the breakthrough. <laughs> That's what you expect to see from Serena Williams in big moments. Takes it in a tie break. Kind of a complete wow. turnaround. Unbelievable. We were headed for a final set. Serena hoping it won't be her final singles match. Kind of a cracks a bit there and Serena breaks. First blood in the final set. She turned into Wonder Woman, those ass. <laughs> now she's turned back into Serena Williams. You gotta oh, love her. Oh, oh. Incredible. Is this really 2022? Is she really almost 41? Serena Williams just supreme. Every match you wonder, will this be the swan song? <laughs> Not tonight. Not tonight, indeed. Good for Serena and good for Carolyn Cameron, who I assume is gonna get to keep enjoying some <laughs> tennis at Flushing Meadows as long as Serena Williams Keeps winning. Carolyn doing it all for us this week in New York. Welcome back to the show once again. Thank Incredible you. Calls. Thanks for having me. Uh, Cece, so I heard a quote once, and I wrote it down. Excellence isn't a skill, it's an attitude. And when we saw Serena Williams at Wimbledon, at the National Bank Open, at Cincinnati, it didn't feel like she had the skill, but more importantly, it didn't feel like she had the attitude. And my, how things can change in just a week's time. Yeah, Jesse, that's really well put because headed into the U.S. Open, my expectations weren't high for Serena and especially after Cincinnati where she lost in the first round in straight sets to Emma Raducanu and it was six love in the second and she wasn't moving well. You just thought she would had less than a handful of matches headed into the U.S. Open. And then after she won on Monday, it was like, OK, this is this is a good start. Maybe she's got another match in her. Maybe that was it. It was good to pick up the win. And then last night's match, especially after losing the second set 6-2 mm -hmm. to the world number two, Annette Kontovet, I really thought she's not moving great. She was good in the first set, but this is probably where the conditioning comes into play and she's not going to have it. And then all of a sudden she wins the third set 6-2 and that she was playing well. So now we've suddenly switched to, you're right, it's she has the skill now, it's there, even though she's only played six matches since this comeback at Wimbledon, having not played for a year prior to that. And she's got the attitude, as we all heard post-match, in saying that basically she's not surprised by this level because she's Serena. So now all of a sudden it's not, okay, well, hopefully she gets a few matches in and then we can all say goodbye. Now it's looking ahead and thinking, Wait a second, with all the upsets in the draw and how open her side of the draw is anyway, with Isla Tomjanovic next, who granted is a quarterfinalist at Wimbledon this year and the year prior, but that's a winnable match for Serena. So, yeah, all of a sudden it's, oh, okay, bye, Serena. Thank you for all the great tennis to, oh, wait, at nearly 41 years old, she still got it and she could go on a run. She is the favorite in her next match, and you mentioned the women's side of the draw just feels like it's, it's opened up. And you could feel the belief last night, and particularly, we talked about this in the opening, uh, Tiger Woods in attendance in Serena's box, and uh, you knew that I was going to bring <laughs> this up. It took you that long to bring up Tiger It with did me. take me this yeah. So just speak to, not just uh, Tiger, mm -hmm. obviously, which uh, I would love for you to do, but just speak to the environment once again, because we saw on Monday in the first match, it was crazy. Like, how did it compare last night to Monday night's match? I know Brad Gilbert on the broadcast said that he'd never heard Ash that loud, and it was 
It was eerily quiet after the second set, but it was still loud. It was just quiet relative to how loud it's been on Monday <laughs> night and last night. But it, w it was ridiculous once she went up that early break in the third set. People stayed on their feet throughout the changeover. I did feel for Annette Contivet because the crowd was cheering even after she would fault. And we even saw post-match Annette Contivet, she just answered one or two questions and then was too emotional to continue the press conference. So it just goes to show the atmosphere, Serena being across the net from opponents, players always say that that's always intimidating to mm -hmm. see Serena, but especially now when you know that this is it, that also comes into play. So it's it was the loudest I've ever experienced at a sporting event, wow. especially tennis. And now I think it's just going to keep it's going to keep getting louder and louder. It was so loud and this sounds ridiculous. But in the third set, there was a point where I felt like I almost <laughs> needed a break because it was just so loud, even just to like run to the washroom or something just to have a minute. It was ju it's just it was crazy. No, you're right. That that does sound ridiculous. Uh, so Serena is playing yeah, okay. in doubles uh, with her sister, <laughs> Venus, uh, tonight. Is there any part of you that wonders now that Serena's making a run in the singles draw? Is it completely necessary mm -hmm. that she plays tonight knowing that she's going to have to play in her singles match tomorrow? Like, she's 40. Shouldn't she rest a little bit here? I know. That's what I was thinking after she won last night. I'm thinking, okay, now that you're actually going to maybe make a run here, don't you want to rest and make sure you don't get injured? But then I was thinking, okay, they've already announced that it's the 7 p.m. match on Ash, and it's going to be such a celebration of both Serena and Venus. So I think at this point, it's just... Serena's playing as many matches as she can to close out her career and that's going to be so cool tonight because they haven't played together in doubles in four years it was 2018 the last time they played together they have 14 uh, Grand Slam championships together in women's doubles three Olympic gold in doubles so this is just going to be a really cool evening but it'll be interesting to see how hard Serena plays again given that it's her final tournament of her career yeah. you'd probably think she's going to give her but given the fact that now she's looking to hopefully extend this run at the u.s open not just to this weekend but to the second week it'll be interesting to see uh how she plays and this is a winnable match in doubles too against the czech team so i know i keep saying things will be interesting i've just i've given up trying to predict because i was doing that earlier on and all my predictions were that serena was done so i'm just gonna She'll, they'll probably win. <laughs> probably win. Well, I, as I understand it, it is <laughs> the first primetime doubles match at Ash Stadium, Arthur Ash Stadium, since 2013. So, I mean, that makes perfect sense, and I'm assuming yeah. we're going to see and Serena the in primetime the whole way through. Yeah, and the last times, because uh, I was I was asking yesterday just to see how special it is to have an opening round or even any round that isn't the final doubles match on Ash, and they were telling me the USTA uh, spokesperson was saying. Well, actually, I was looking into it, too, and it is special, but the last ones to do it, like the last five, have been the Williams sisters, <laughs> so it just is so telling as to how everyone wants to see them. Uh, okay, I want to shift gears to the Canadians now, and Bianca Andreescu fights off uh, five break points, has 11 winners, uh, wins again. Do you think there's something about Bianca being at a place where she has had the ultimate success that is inspiring her at this point? Yeah, that was such a big win against Tadad Maya, who many who are watching the National Bank Open will remember. She had an incredible tournament, upset Iga Sviantek, the world number one, en route to the final. And Haddad Maya, only one other player has more wins than she does since July. So for Bianca to win in straight sets against a heavy hitter like Haddad Maya, that is an incredible, mm -hmm. that is a solid win 
for people who are kind of questioning, okay, where is Bianca right now in terms of her back? Is she feeling okay? She needs more match play, and she, she thus far through two rounds has improved at the U.S. Open. I think there is something to be said about being back here, and she even said post-match that she always plays up when she knows that she's playing a really tough opponent and sometime, someone who is favored over her. She says she really plays her way up, which she said is great, but she also needs to work on that so that she's always playing at a high level regardless of who the opponent is. But that, that speaks to her next match tomorrow against Caroline Garcia, which will be 7 p.m. on Louis Armstrong. Um, so that's a primetime match. And Caroline Garcia is the most winningest player on the WTA Tour since July. So that's going to be a really tricky match. If Bianca can get through that, then I think we really have to have the conversation of, okay, based on the draw, as we've talked about, here's a good opportunity for, for Bianca to go the distance. And then on the other hand, CC, uh, you have Felix Ojealiasim, who came in as the sixth seed. And we have waited now for a couple of years for Felix to make the big jump but it just doesn't seem like it's happening. What is the reason that he can't seem to climb the mountain and get deep into these big tournaments? Yeah, for as solid as Bianca's win was yesterday, that was a really disappointing loss for Felix, especially considering it was in straight sets. And I know that Jack Draper, who he lost to, is just 21 years old, or 20 years old, excuse me, from Great Britain. He's gone on a real run just late in this uh, summer season. That's a disappointing loss. As you said, he's the world number or number six seed, excuse me, at the tournament. And he's been he's been climbing, right? Like he's made four quarterfinals of Masters 1000s events this year, plenty of top 10 wins. And last night, nothing was working for him. Like his, his, his backhand was hurting him. His return game was weak. So it's, it's definitely disappointing. And obviously, he wants to be optimistic. And he was post-match about how he'll kind of reset and go on from here. But... This was the week and two weeks where he could have really made a run, and um, it, it was just, it was not a well-played match last night. Yeah, it's just disappointing because we see it, right? Like, we see that the talent is clearly, obviously there, and he just hasn't been able uh, to do it. But, I mean, you mentioned the Masters performances, and he has had a really good season, so it's just about the big tournaments getting a little bit further. It's coming. Uh, uh, yeah. Layla Fernandez, uh, Carolyn, one win in three matches since coming back from her injury. She loses last night. Was this a little bit to be expected because she was so recently uh, injured and on the shelf for a little while? Yeah, I think we can we could still say it's a disappointing mm -hmm. loss, not to the same extent as it was for Felix. She was also playing a really tough opponent in Samsonova, who's coming off a Washington title that was just before uh, Toronto and the National Bank Open. So that was a really tricky second-round match for Layla. It's, it's really just about trying to get match play under her belt, which is tough at this at this point of the season, um, the summer is when you really want to get that done or even earlier in the year. But obviously she had that injury at the French Open that kept her out for months until Toronto. So, yeah, that's a disappointing loss. But I think, as you said, Jesse, it, it could somewhat be expected. Coming into a tournament like this, people always look back at, OK, how did you do a year ago? And she was a finalist. And there were expectations because of that. But because of coming back from the injury, it was definitely dampened before the tournament began. Uh, excellent work, as always, but I have to say, uh, just make sure no mid-match breaks for you, okay? Moving forward, none of that. you got to stay through the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm sure we'll talk and to you we'll tomorrow. And we'll look for Tiger. We'll be on the lookout. We'll be, we'll be on the lookout for Tiger tomorrow night for I you. I 
don't, oh, I'm already going to admit this, that we might have been waiting in the parking lot, me and Alex Kuhn, the camera guy, just for the celebrities to come in. We missed Tiger. So that was, I don't know what happened there. I'm sure he would have fist Tomorrow pumped. we will be better. He would have fist pumped if he saw you, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you tomorrow, I'm sure. <laughs> no problem. See ya. Okay, time for a break here on Tim and Friends. When we come back, it is Dink and Dunk. I guess I'm the dink today. Justin Bound joins us from Winnipeg as we tee up week 13 in the Labor Day Classics in the CFL next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. September is here as we approach Labor Day weekend and the marquee weekend on the CFL calendar. Let's check out the odds. Powered by Bet Rivers, it's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. The week starts with the Alouettes, four and a half point favorites at home to the Red Blacks. Sunday, the Bombers are four point favorites in Saskatchewan against the Riders. Monday, the Tie Cats, very small favorites against the Argos. The Argos are two and one against the Tie Cats this season. Then the Stamps, big 12 point favorites against the Elks. Well, it is time for one of my. Uh, favorite segments of the entire week we bring in uh, <laughs> dink and dunk as i said when i headed to break i guess i am the dink today it is my friend who last week was riding around in stadium cars oh. where are you this week mr justin dunk Hey, this guy. On the beautiful Red River in Winnipeg, courtesy of Splash and Dash Boat Tours. My guy Gord back here has been running this for 30 years and was kind enough to take us out on the water, my man. We had to top last week. You know it, Jesse. I got to say, uh, Mr. Dunk, you are setting a very high bar. Like, what is the plan for next week? Because now every single – we do this every week. You're, are you going to run out of ideas or what? <laughs> No, nah, man, you know how it is in the vid. You got to be creative. <laughs> Keep them coming. I love it, buddy. It looks uh, looks great out there. It looks like a beautiful day. Uh, okay, I want to get to some uh, talk here. BC Lions trade a first-round CFL draft pick for veteran quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, are we looking at this as sort of an admission that Canadian Nathan Rourke is a long shot to be back on the field this season after, of course, the, the Liz Frank injury in Week 11? That's what I believe. If you look at this move to get Vernon Adams Jr., he's a veteran quarterback, proven in this league, although his play has been somewhat erratic at times. When he's hot, he can be really good. When he's cold, yeah, not so good. But I think it is an admission that the chances are slim to none that Nathan Rourke will be back on the field in BC Lions colors this season. Now, the Lions would, of course, love to see that. The CFL would as well because he was the fastest rising star through the first 11 weeks and was on record pace for single season touchdowns, was on pace to go for over 6,000 yards, which has only been done by a handful of quarterbacks in the CFL. But getting Adams Jr. in my mind is forward thinking as well because it's likely that Rourke is going to have multiple contract offers from NFL teams and won't be with the BC Lions next year. So from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense for the Lions. Your ability to just, uh, you know, no distractions, just power through. Like, you're, you're cruising right now. I'm surprised you even wanted to do this, to be honest, considering how nice it looks out there. <laughs> uh, uh, New York Jets uh, add former CFL QB Chris Drevler to the practice squad after... Um, the greatest preseason in the history of pro football, according to head coach Robert Sala. Can he get onto the active roster, in your opinion? 
I do believe there's an opportunity here. You look at Zach Wilson, the number two overall pick from the 2021 NFL Draft. He's dealing with a knee issue. And what Strebler brings that Joe Flacco certainly does not, and Mike White to a lesser degree does not, is that athletic ability and the ability to have defenses prepare for what he brings to the table. In the NFL, a lot of times these coaches are looking for ways to have the opposition coaches spend time game planning for things that might not necessarily happen, but that could come cost them the game. So I believe Strebler has acquitted himself well. And part of the reason that Salah wanted to keep him around is his attitude. That dude knows how to bring a locker room together. And if you're the Jets, you're trying to change the whole perspective on your team from the outside, but also create that winning culture from the outside. We right. all know that Strebler was a great cup champion right here in Winnipeg with the Blue Bombers and then famously wore that cowboy hat, the fur coat, and was drinking Who beer out of the great cup. So he knows a thing or two about lifting trophies. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, over to the Stamps. Uh, they started Jake Meyer at quarterback in Week 12 uh, over Bo Levi Mitchell. He played well against the Blue Bombers, 82% completion percentage, uh, 294 passing yards, three touchdowns with no picks. Uh, barring injury, and this is, I feel like this is a crazy question to ask, but barring injury, have we seen the last of Bo Levi Mitchell as QB1 in Calgary? It does seem weird to ask, I know, Jesse, but I do think that's a distinct possibility. As long as the mayor, and that's the nickname he's already gotten around Calgary, plays at a high level, then he will be the starter for the foreseeable future and maybe for a long time in Calgary. Mitchell's contract is up at the end of this season. He'll certainly have multiple offers from other teams. I don't necessarily think it's a slight at Mitchell's abilities, mm -hmm. although he's not what he once was when he was winning Grey Cups and MOP trophies as well. He's just not the best quarterback on his team right now. But if you were the Edmonton Elks, you would surely love to have Bo Levi Mitchell. If you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now, you would love to have Bo Levi Mitchell. So Mayer seems like the man in Calgary for now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Mitchell's future is over in the CFL if he wants to continue playing. I mean, how do you think he's taking this? Because obviously he, we heard what he had to say the first time around, and now it seems like he's not going to be the quarterback there for quite some time here at, at the very least. How do you think Bo Levi Mitchell is, is taking this? Overall, I think he's taken it like a professional. Now, at the start, he was certainly upset. He was pissed off, to be quite honest, because he's a competitor. All competitors want to be out mm -hmm. there competing for their teams. And he rightfully so still believes he's the best quarterback for that team. But he's also been a professional in helping Jake Mayer. I was literally there the day that this decision was ultimately made a couple weeks ago when they were practicing at the University of Guelph. And Bo Levi Mitchell still came over. I had my nephews there and my niece took a picture. And you would have never known that it was the first time in his career that he was being relegated to backup duty. So he's taking it very well. but. Don't get it twisted at all. He's still sharpening his skills and yeah. knows he can play at a high level, whether that's Calgary this year if an injury happens or in the future for another CFL team. Yeah, former MOP. Okay, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers can clinch a playoff spot with a win over the Riders in the Labor Day Classic, which is the unofficial start of the second half of the CFL season. A Saskatchewan quarterback, Cody Fajardo, is coming off his best performance of the season in Week 12 and looks to uh, finally beat the Bombers, who have ended the Riders' season in two straight West Finals. Uh, JD, do we think this is going to happen? Ooh, well, man, the thing is, 
in Saskatchewan for the Labor Day Classic, you can throw out the records. And it's a critical time for Fajardo to be playing the best football of the season that he's played at least a full 60-minute effort because I really believe that this Rough Riders team could get a boost, a major shot of confidence if they can find a way to just even scrap out an ugly win against the Blue Bombers. Do I actually think it can happen? I would probably be betting with Bet Rivers on Winnipeg, to be quite honest. But I think there's a better chance now because Fajardo is coming off his best performance of the season on the road at BC Place. And the Lions, I know we've been talking a lot about Nathan Rourke, still have a legit defense. So I like the high completion percentage, the way he was getting rid of the ball. But what I liked most, Mr. Rubinoff, was the fact that Kean Schaefer-Baker was featured in that offense. Mm -hmm. That is the critical element to me. This team has been great the last couple seasons when he's the focal point. And no, I'm not just saying it because he's a University of Guelph grad. That's where I (laughs) played my university football as well. Schaefer Baker is legit, and people need to tune in and watch this guy because he's going to have multiple NFL teams interested in him in the offseason, and I think Saskatchewan needs to use him while he's there. I love it. I love the passion from Mr. Dunk. Uh, Alouette's minority owner, Gary Stern, uh, leaves team operations, resigns from the CFL Board of Governors. Is this a case of the old boys club not appreciating the modern approach with Mr. Stern's tweets and uh, desire to speak his mind. I do believe it is. There's a way to go about it. Stern was certainly outspoken, and he was excited about the team. So I find it hard to believe that it would be his decision to step away from the day-to-day operations. We all saw what he was doing on Twitter, and then anytime he got in front of a microphone, he was guaranteeing wins for his team. He was doing that on Twitter, too. So I don't think the Board of Governors, who are a little bit of an older group, like the outspoken way. They usually like to go about things behind closed doors. And even though Amar Doman, the new owner in BC, has said some things publicly, he hasn't been as outward as Stern was. And we have to remember the critical element with Stern was that he was the minority owner, 25% shareholder there in Montreal. And the estate is saying the 75% shareholders, Shid Spiegel is saying that they're still going to run the day-to-day operations, but a lot of people around the league think that the team could be up for sale again. Uh, Gordon might be speeding. It sounds like they're coming for you. <laughs> the cops <laughs> in the back and the sirens in the background. Uh, I hope you're wearing some sunscreen. Um, it looks, again, looks like a wonderful, great idea, and get thinking for next week because next week we're going to have another edition of Dink and Dunk, and we're going to see what Justin Dunk can come up with. Thanks for doing this. My man, again, we got a shout out to Gord. He's a lifelong Bombers fan, so he was up for this from the jump. And if you're at the Forks in Winnipeg, come down, splash and dash boaters. It is beautiful. I might just kick back, relax, enjoy this boat ride for the rest of the afternoon. Lucky, See you lucky guys later. man. Lucky man. And we got the hot studio to deal with now. It's all good here on Tim and Friends. Time for a break. On the other side, the September stretch run is here in the majors. Can the Jays find some consistency? Are the Orioles for real? Are the Yankees crumbling? We'll discuss it all next with former major leaguer Kevin Millaris, Tim and Friends. Rolls on. Sports Talk with Jim McAuliffe and 
friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. I see the little shimmy over there. I see I, what's going on. I have to. I see what's going on. That's, that's how I feel. I have to do you proud. That's how I feel. No, but oh, if you never did it, I, I don't think I'd be sitting here stoic, keeping really? arms and legs so you don't and get, limbs like, inside the vehicle you don't at get all those, times. You don't want to... The groove, you don't get the groove. Okay, from maybe music? a little, maybe a little, right. just a little bit. Yeah, all right. Uh, back here for hour number two on Tim and Friends, Jesse Rubinoff alongside Anthony Caminiti on his maiden voyage on the show. That definitely deserves that. Maybe in a second one there. Preach, preach. Tim gets mad at me all the time for not hitting the buttons enough. So there you go. I did it twice. Uh, Timmy will be back next week. Coming up, Jarrett Bell as we look at the young quarterbacks looking to break out in the National Football League. Plus, Kevin Millar in moments on all things baseball. But first the news of the day and that starts with highlights from the women's world championships the quarterfinals canada facing off against sweden who they beat 11 nothing at the olympics back in february late first renata fast across to jocelyn larock scores her first ever goal at the women's worlds marie-philippe poulin grabs the milestone puck one nothing canada doesn't just score goals marie-philippe poulin second period more from the canadians Blue line. Sarah Potomac from Overgrove BC goes end to end. What a move! What a goal! They've been waiting for that from her. Sarah Potomac, great effort, even better finish. Two zip, third period we go. And Potomac in the mix again. Back to Aaron Ambrose. Gets to the middle of the ice. Always put the puck on net, kids. Finds its way in. Canada outshoots Sweden 57 to 9 as they advance to the semifinals. They win, three zip. The Americans taking on Hungary in the quarterfinals, second period. Hillary Knight is gonna feed Hannah Bilka. Woo! Wires it home. That makes it seven nothing USA. The assist is Knight's 86th point at the World Championships, tying her for the most all time. Jump to the third, Bilka. The pass out in front tonight. And that makes it 11-0. But more importantly, irrespective of the score, that goal, Knight passes Haley Wickenheiser with her 87th career point at the World Championships. That's the new all-time record. U.S. off to the semifinals after the 12-1 win elsewhere. Switzerland beat Japan in a shootout while Czechia shocked Finland in overtime. Finland, widely considered the third best team in this tournament. They make it to their first ever semifinal in the tourney. Does Czechia, and they'll play the Americans. Canada play Switzerland in the semis, which go on Saturday. The final is on Sunday. Mariners and Tigers from earlier today. Top of the third, one zip. Mariners, Julio Rodriguez. How good is this guy, huh? Launches his second, 22nd, not second, 22nd home run of the season. And J-Rod knows he got all of it. Solo shot makes it to zip. Next batter, Ty France. He gets a hold of one, carries just over the wall. Back-to-back -back jacks for the Mariners. They lead three zip. Top four. Seattle threatening once again. The two on Kurt Gasali. Drives one to the wall. That is a double that clears the bases. The Mariners sweep the Tigers. 7-0 the final. Mariners of course have a 20-year postseason drought. We're going to make it for the first time since 2001. The Mariners stay red hot and with the win pull into a tie with the Rays atop the American League wildcard standings. The Jays now two games back of both of them and just two games up on the Orioles and three up on the Twins. The Jays, of course, off today. Dodgers and Mets, Clayton Kershaw off the injured list, making his first start since August the 4th. He was dealing with lower back pain, aren't we all, Clayton? Aren't we all? Bottom of the first, the three-time Cy Young Award winner, a little rusty, bases loaded, facing Mark Canna. That's his third walk of the inning. 
Run comes in to score one zip Mets. Top of the second. Bases loaded for Chris Taylor, who takes Chris Bassett the other way. Two runs come in to score. Trace Thompson looking to be the third. Nope. Not today, boss. He's thrown out of the plate. 2-1 Dodgers. Bottom three, Kershaw. Gets Starling Marte watching strike three. And the next batter, Francisco Lindor, down swinging himself. Back-to-back punch-outs for the Dodgers ace. Well, it is September, the home stretch of the baseball season. We're going to start to hang on every pitch here in a little bit. And a man who knows a thing or two about meaningful September baseball, former major leaguer, now MLB Network analyst, Kevin Millar. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Thanks for doing this. What's going on, boys? How you guys doing? Well, we're here in Toronto, so I guess, uh, fittingly, we're going to start with the Toronto Blue Jays, a team with so much talent, so much expectation coming into the season. Are you surprised here that the Blue Jays find themselves in a bit of a dogfight just to get into the postseason as we head into September? Yeah, I'll tell you what, going into the year, you, you know, we knew that how athletic they were offensively. We know, you know, how wiry this team can be, but you weren't sold on you know, with expectations. And now, you know what? Expectations are here. People know they're good. They they know they're not going to sneak up on anybody. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, they are a dangerous ball club. Bass was a great addition for your bullpen, mm. you know, out of Miami. Uh, you know, very underrated pickup. But you got out Manoa, who's been unbelievable this year. Uh, Gosman, a great sign. Berrios is now heading in the right direction. He had a rough couple starts early on. But I'll tell you right now, He's a, he's a gamer. You know, he cares about everything and cares about every pitch. So I think they're set up to have a really nice postseason. It's just they got to keep playing together as a group and offensively do the little things right to win well, games. Well, the Blue Jays have uh, 10 games against the Baltimore Orioles remaining. So I want to ask you about the Orioles, who they bring up Gunnar Henderson. They have Adley Rushman up, obviously, having a great year. They're just two games back of the Toronto Blue Jays. Who would have thought coming into the season that the team that the Blue Jays, or anyone else for that matter, trying to secure a wild card spot, the team that they would be most worried about would be the Baltimore Orioles. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It, it, it truly is. I mean, what they have done, they remind me of the San Francisco Giants last year when they won 107 games, and you kind of kept waiting to see if the Giants were going to fall off, and they never did. The Orioles were the same type feeling, like, yeah, scrappy group, probably a couple years away. Brandon Hyde has had these guys believing in themselves Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, you know, let's go shock the world. But I'll tell you right now, I mean, they trade Jorge to to, to Minnesota, you know, you get rid of just Mancini to Houston. And then you look up and you got Felix Batista closing games that throws 101 miles an hour. It seems that everybody these days throw a hundred, but they are a dangerous club. They have nothing to lose, you know, behind the scenes. They're just saying, let's go play some ball. And, and they do enough to just be a headache. Uh, you mentioned this. This is, this is a little bit off track, but you, you just mentioned everybody throws 100 now. Uh, I'm just curious from my own personal perspective. Um, what was it like facing 100 miles an hour, like triple digits? Like you blink and it's past it. How do these guys go up there and face it? Because everyone now, every bullpen seems like they have five arms that throw 100. It's amazing. Billy Koch, who played with the Blue Jays back in the day, was one of the first guys. He and Kyle Farns were throwing 100. But now it seems like, if you said, there's three to five guys in a bullpen that, that reach 100. Uh, it, it is You have to gamble. There's no way you're sitting here seeing pitches and you're sitting back and trying to react to that. Now that velocity, I always said 95 was that velocity that you couldn't sit back and react. It was right. another level from 91 to 93. 95 and now 95 to 100 is that second level so 
guys are just powerful. They're built to go shorter. They're built to go max effort early on. Uh, you know, the the old days of Roy Halladay going out there and going in the eighth inning with, you know, 81 pitches because he's pitching the contacts over with. You're getting high strikeouts from hitters because of the shifts, the launch angles, but power, power, power is what it's all about now. Yeah, it's funny. It's fans, they wonder why runs and scoring are down across baseball, and it's because all these guys are throwing triple digits. That plays a big reason why. I want to get back to the American League East. And the New York Yankees just had their worst month since 1991. What is going on? It feels like unless Aaron Judge is hitting home runs, the Yankees are not scoring. You look at last night's game specifically. They're against the Angels. They got two guys on. Nobody out. Donaldson strikes out. Gleyber Torres strikes out. Then they bring in a rookie who grounds out to end the game. They just can't get anything going. What is going on? Yeah, no, it, it, you know, it's the little things. When things aren't going well, you have to do little things to, to get out of that funk. They're, they, you know, offensively, the first three and a half months of the season, everybody's like, it's the best team in baseball. You mm-hmm. could have put up there the Astros, the Braves, the Mets, whoever you want to go at that point. But the Dodgers sit here, keep plugging away, and the Yankees have just hit a magnificent skid uh, offensively, kind of exposing maybe they're not as dangerous as people thought once you pitch around Judge. Judge, obviously, right now, I don't know how teams let them, you know, let him beat them because he is the only guy in that lineup that really instills fear. I mean, Anthony Rizzo's had a nice year. He's got some home runs from the left side, but they just haven't put anything together. And you you nailed it. Last night, first, second, nobody out. You have to find a way to get that run in, a run in. If not, usually the old Yankees were three or four runs. So they're not doing little things. They're not, they're not, you know, playing smart baseball. They're just kind of playing for that long ball. And really, there's only one guy on that team that you're that can hit a long ball every swing. That's Judge. It just feels like there's so much desperation in New York. Like they want to bring up Volpe, they want to bring up prospects to sort of bail them out. Like you look at Donaldson batting 222 on the year, Glaber Torres 180 in the month of August. It's just crazy to think that the Yankees find themselves where they are now. But you mentioned Judge is the one who stirs the drink in that lineup, and I feel like we're blessed as fans of the sport yeah. to be able to watch Aaron Judge chasing 60 and Albert Pujols chasing 700. Uh, we haven't had chases of this magnitude in quite some time. Like, what's it like for you, and what do you think it means for baseball to have two guys chasing those numbers? It's really awesome. Listen, it's exciting what Albert Pujols is doing. I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, as you get older, your bat speed goes down. This year, I mean, against left-handers, he's absolutely demolishing them, and then he almost kind of found his stroke at the All-Star game in the Home Run Derby. I love what he said. Home Run Derbies, they don't mess your swing up. So, Albert, (laughs) what an amazing year he's having. Obviously, Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado at the corners. But, you know, that that team is dangerous, right? The St. Louis, they just play the game the right way. And then Aaron Judge, my goodness gracious, if there's a word, class. I mean, this guy is all class. So, you see Albert Pujols chasing the boys and A-Rod and here we go. But 700 he has an outside chance to get it, and I, I wouldn't bet against him right now. For the Yankees lineup, like, are guys just going to stop pitching to Judge? Is that where we're going to get to? Because, I mean, the, the Roger Maris record, that is in play here, but the Yankees are playing in competitive games. Like, their division lead is only down to six, and guys want to try and beat the Yankees. So is the most effective way to beat the Yankees not pitching to Aaron Judge? Yeah, I mean, early on in the game, you might get some pitches. We'll see how the game goes. If they get up by three or four, the other team, and the next thing you know, but as soon as that game becomes close and yeah. he's coming up seventh, eighth, ninth, why would you? You, you know, you got to let the other guy beat him. It's not saying they're not capable of, but 
this year, Aaron Judge, I mean, the MVP, if you'd ask me, the Otani situation always gets confusing because he doesn't get enough credit for what he does. You know, he yeah. dominates on the pitching side, dominates on the hitting side. That series in Anaheim was amazing. The stars, you know, Judge and Otani just hitting home runs, and it was, it was really cool to watch. But, yeah, you're not letting Aaron Judge beat you. If you're a must-win game, that's the guy in the lineup. So you got to kind of put an asterisk there and go, yeah, the game's online. There's always a base open. I want to get to your former team, uh, the Boston Red Sox. Who, they have the, the names, right? You still have the Devers. You have the Bogarts. You have the brand-name manager in Alex Cora, World Series champion. But it seems like stuff went sideways there in the middle part of the season. What kind of direction do you think the Red Sox are going in here? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because, I mean, J.D. Martinez has slowed down. Uh, you know, as he's gotten older, it seems like the bat speed's slow. He had a great swing last night, hit a home run out. But they just haven't hit, you know. Mm. I mean, they've hit enough, but they haven't hit, like, collectively. And when I talk about J.D. in the middle of your lineup, like, I believe he's got 11 home runs or so, a lot of doubles. But usually he's a guy that's 30 home runs and driving the baseball out of the yard. So, it, it, it Devers has had a really rough August, you know, hitting, like, 180, 185. Uh, he's special. You know, Bogarts have a nice year, but they just, you know, they don't scare you anymore. Right. Chris Sale injuries really hurt them. Evaldi's out, so they have a lot of rookies piecing in and, and you know, starting staff-wise, and bullpen's been a headache. So, at the end of the day, it's not a winning combination. I want to get to the uh, what some are calling the National League version of the Toronto Blue Jays. That is the San Diego Padres. So they go all in at the trade deadline. Obviously, you then get the suspension with Fernando Tatis. Juan Soto has maybe been a little bit disappointing. Josh Hader has absolutely been disappointing for this team. Uh, what do you make of what's going on in San Diego? Because currently, we're looking at it right now, they're hanging on for that third wildcard spot, and that is not what you would have expected considering what they did at the deadline. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, people don't realize, though, it takes time to develop this chemistry. Who's taking you guys out to lunches? You know, you're a new guy in the team. Everybody's got their clicks already. So it's kind of have to be... You know, it takes time to, 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 to mold outside the lines. You know, mm -hmm. you can put a whole bunch of names and all-stars in a lineup and on team, but until you know how to play together, and let's be honest, when you get traded and you're a star like these guys are, Soto and Hader, you're trying to do too much. I mean, what we've seen with Josh Hader, that's not who he is. I mean, there has been definitely a struggle fest. Got his first save yesterday, you know, for the Padres since he's been with the Padres, but you're not going to give up on a guy like that with 97, 98 left side. He's been dominating. We know what he can do. And then Soto, you know, you plug him in there, but everybody thinks that it's just going to be a home run every time. But it takes time to play together. Uh, I think this team's good. Their starting staff is the key to me. Yeah. We can talk about all the offense we want, but that one through five is nice. If they take care of their business, they have a nice staff. So they could be dangerous, right? You get a hot Josh Hader in the postseason. Nobody wants that. And then their starting staff you know, can compete with anybody. So then you got damage in the middle of the line. So it's trying to get to the postseason, right? How you get there, who cares? A chip in a chair, I always say. Anything can happen. <laughs> but they haven't been as dominating as you would think offensively. That was so much fun. Uh, Mr. Millar, enjoy the baseball as we head down the home stretch here in September and, of course, into October. Thanks for doing this. We'll catch up soon. Appreciate you. All right, coming up here on Tim and Friends, we will get to highlights from Man United's game earlier today, plus a little MLS, TFC, try and fight for a playoff spot. And Carolyn Cameron caught up with Serena Williams coach Renee Stubbs. That conversation next here on Tim and Friends.
All right, some footy highlights, Leicester City and Man United. Leicester City still looking for their first win of the season, hosting Man U, winners of uh, two straight. Look at them now, 23rd minute. Marcus Rashford picks out Jaden Sancho, evades the keeper, that is nice. Puts it away to open the scoring, 1-0, Man U. Basil Camisa somewhere is a happy man, 83rd minute. Ball played across to Ronaldo, tries the bicycle kick. Woo, can still get up. But it bounces wide, near brilliance, from the second half sub. That still seems a bit strange. Deep into stoppage time, Leicester City, chance to equalize. James Justin blasts it high over the bar. Leicester City remain winless. Man U takes it 1-0. It is transfer deadline day across the European leagues, and Canadian international Ismail Kone is on the move from CF Montreal to Sheffield United in England for a fee of Four and a half million pounds, or about seven million dollars. The 20-year-old midfielder has featured in 21 games for Montreal this season and has caps, two caps for Canada, which came in World Cup qualifying. He should have a great shot at making Canada's World Cup squad. The star most definitely on the rise. CF Montreal lost 1-0 to New York Red Bulls last night, but remained second in the Eastern Conference standings. Meantime, Toronto FC led 2-1 against LA Galaxy but gave up a late equalizer and drew 2-2 down at BMO. Federico Bernadeschi scored once again from the penalty spot for TFC. So TFC sit 10th in the East, two points out of a playoff spot, but with three teams to jump as the season winds down. They have five games left to make up the ground and get in, including a huge match against Montreal at BMO Field this Sunday night in front of what should be a raucous, long weekend crowd. Did you see uh, what happened in the uh, TFC game that we haven't showed just quite yet? Is this the, the thing? The thing, Is yeah. This the, the, thing? the thing that we were talking about earlier in the day that I think needs to be brought up and we need to uh, just crush it. Chicharito? Chicharito. If you haven't seen it at home, this is tough. If, yeah. you're, if you're a soccer fan, like, look away because all the non-soccer fans, I think, are probably going to point to this and be like, oh, this is why, this is why I don't like soccer. Look at this. Oh, no, my this, goodness. I mean, okay. <laughs> This is the new Neymar one. Remember the Neymar and it became a meme and Neymar would be spinning around and floating into all different parts of the universe? <laughs> this is going to be the new meme. That reaction at the end with the hands out? Oh, it's so good. Like, I just, okay. Soccer needs to do something about this. I mean, maybe they don't because it's incredibly popular. It's the most popular sport in the world and that just is what it is and this is a, a part of the game. But f for me watching this, I think this is a very easy thing to sort of get rid of. Give Chicharito a red card right away. That's it. You behave like that, you're gone. And he's shrugging his shoulders. What are you shrugging your shoulders at, buddy? <laughs> that kills you're about me, to go viral for the wrong reasons. <laughs> like, give him a red card. See you later. I think the same thing in, in the NBA, which I actually wanted to bring this up. Uh, the NBA, all they do, talk, 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 talk to the officials all game long. Chris Paul, Draymond Green, Kyle Lowry is really bad at it. Why don't they just say, okay, you have one captain on the team, one coach, the coach talks to the refs, the captain talks to the refs, anybody else talks to the refs, teed up. Like, it just feels like these leagues, there are things that these leagues can do, but for whatever reason, they just refuse to do them. Like, it, nobody likes watching people complain. Nobody likes watching this. I mean, it's funny. I, I mean, I like it's watching funny. this. It's funny, <laughs> this but it's hilarious. embarrassing. Like, it, it's embarrassing for Chicharito, and it's embarrassing for the sport. It it's is. not? It is, and that's what I was saying off the top. Like, if you're a diehard soccer fan, like, this, is, this has got to frustrate you. you got to just throw your hands up in the air and just be like, man, this is why. This is why everyone who doesn't like this sport, th this is the thing they point to, right? 
Um, it's that's tough. tough. I don't know what you do, but yeah, like I sure I just give me a straight red. What do you mean just, you don't know? What you do? I, I don't just know, but like you can't you can't just be throwing dudes out because like, then it's so subjective. There's a gray area. No, that's what if we get yeah? Because then you're gonna get a guy that wasn't as egregious as that, and then he gets thrown out. You go to the and tape. that costs your team. The, it costs your team the game. That's you go to the fun. tape. You go to the tape. It's like in Major League Baseball now. Anytime they review, it should be a hundred percent. You are allowed to everything? look at the video. You're allowed to look at the video. So in this case, look at Chicharito, and that's it. You you look at another video. You see it. You're like, okay. You do that. You're gone. Simple. Done. Okay. We're gonna shelve that conversation. <laughs> Earlier in the show, we chatted with Carolyn Cameron in New York. She has been keeping busy in Flushing as she recently caught up with Serena Williams coach Renee Stubbs. Here is that conversation for you. <laughs> Pleased to be joined by a former world number one in doubles, six-time Grand Slam champion, uh, ESPN analyst, and oh yeah, Serena's coach at her uh, final tournament of her career. And that's probably just putting it lightly in terms of the resume. Renee, Serena said that she's not surprised with how she's been playing. What would you make of how she's performed through two rounds? I mean, yeah, I mean, how can you be surprised? I mean, she's the greatest player of all time. Uh, she's won more Grand Slams, more matches at any Grand Slam. So she knows how to navigate this tournament. She knows how to navigate matches. Clearly not having played more than a handful of matches coming in here is uh, pretty incredible that she's able to produce the tennis that she's producing now. But we sort of had a feeling, well, I had a feeling anyway, after if she got could get through the first round. For me, that was the most important thing, to get through the first round, deal with the emotions of the match, having not played a lot of tennis, not playing a great match the last time she was out uh, in Cincinnati. But she put in a tremendous amount of work after Cincinnati, played a lot of practice sets against other players, which she's never done before. And uh, I think she came into the US Open just feeling like, okay, I've done everything I can to prepare. And uh, we're seeing the benefits of what she did in those 10 days. Because she said after that second round win that yes, she is focusing on winning, but she also really wants to embrace the moment off the court. What's she been like? Great. I mean, listen, when she's not here, she's back home in the city, uh, back you know, in a hotel. She's spending all the time with her daughter, Olympia, trying to make her relaxed as possible. We don't talk during the day. I checked in with her in the morning just to see how she's feeling, feeling great. And then I, I don't speak to her for the rest of the day. I mean, I'm very busy with the ESPN as well, and I have my other player, Sam Stozer, in doubles. So, um, you know, when Serena gets out here and we get on the court, that's when the sort of the work begins for me with her. But really, it, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel with Serena Williams, just trying to keep her positive and keep her happy. Well, you've played with Serena. You've played against her. You're longtime friends. How did this partnership come to be? It was just, you know, after Cincinnati, I... As I said, we've always had a really good relationship, a really good friendship. I've always spoken to her about her tennis. It's not like anything new for me to tell her about something. Um, I think that would be a w bit weird after 20 years. Listen, let me tell you about what you can do better after 23 Grand Slams. Um, so, but it was just an observation of what I felt I could tell her and help her with. And she just, you know, said, look, would you come on the practice court um, and just observe? Those were her words. So uh, I did that. And... Like I said, I'm just here to help her. She's a friend, and I, I really wanted to help her get the best out of herself here at the US Open, and I think she's proven to everybody how and why she's so great. Well, what an experience for all of you. Best of luck, and yeah. thanks. Thanks. Very cool interview. On the other side, we continue our NFL previews with a closer look at the young quarterbacks who are going to break out this season. We are a week away from kickoff. Hard to believe. We'll discuss with USA Today's Jared Bell. That's next. You're on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Jesse Rubinoff and Anthony Caminiti. Uh, these NFL features that you've been doing all week have been fantastic. And uh, rumor has it 
that you have another one for us today. Got another one. Got one every day up until Thursday. Oh, I love it. They're going to be bangers. They're good. Um, all right. So this past offseason, we saw several teams make a big splash and acquire star players. Among them were the Dolphins and the Eagles. Both acquired big-name receivers and filled in several holes on their rosters in the hopes of taking a big step forward in 2022. One problem, are we sure their quarterbacks are good? The pressure will be on Tua Tungvaluwa and Jalen Hurts to deliver wins. And if not, that question will get louder and louder. Allow me to explain a little further. Tungvaluwa, this game gets to a point where they're not executing at the line of scrimmage and they need to throw. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets a shot. Tungvaluwa fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Tua Tungvaluwa and Jalen Hurts are no strangers to QB controversies. Years ago, they played one out in real time in a national championship game, so the last thing they want is another one. You can make the case that these two QBs are under the most pressure to make the leap this season than anyone else. Let me explain. We'll start with Tua. You know, the most accurate quarterback in the history of the whole wide universe. As far as accuracy-wise, I'm going with Tua all day. The most accurate, catchable ball I've ever seen. I'd rather play with the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Okay, we get it already. God. Under new head coach Mike McDaniel, the Finns had a clear vision for this offense. Speed. It's Hill in the open. Cuts it upfield. He might be gone. He is from 64 incredible yards. On top of Tyreek Hill, Miami added Cedric Wilson Jr., Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds. Even their new left tackle, Teron Armstead, ran the fastest 40 time ever by an offensive lineman. Like I said, I feel the need, the need for speed. Okay, don't mind me as I get a little nerdy for a sec. The new weapons combined with their West Coast passing attack that's designed for the QB to deliver an accurate ball for plenty of yard after catch opportunities means Tua is set up for success. But we're talking about a guy that's thrown for just over 4,400 yards, 27 touchdowns and 15 picks in his whole career. Yes, the pressure is on Tua. Next up, we have Jalen Hurts, who like Tua, has a new favorite receiver to target. Catch and run. A.J. Brown is a blur! Touchdown! After years of blowing pick after pick on wide receivers, the Eagles finally just said screw it, and they just traded for a good one in A.J. Brown. The Eagles have been dubbed the winners of the offseason. This team suddenly has Super Bowl aspirations. Only question is, can Hurts deliver? If he can't, Philly could use their two first-round picks in next year's draft to make a splash and get their QB of the future. Based on the talent that surrounds Tua and Hurts, it's crystal clear. The time is right now to prove to their teams that they're the guy. Well, that's that's a pretty good job again. Thank you, sir. Uh, so I wanna, just want to know from your opinion, since you're the one who put the future together, Like, is there more pressure on Tua or Jalen Hurts that he now has a receiver that you would think is going to help him out? Probably Tua just because of how much he struggled last year. Um, and Tyreek's just a beast. Yeah. Like, he's just a freak of nature, and he can make somebody be good. So I think it's Tua. Yeah, uh, I think it's Tua, too. And we're going to have to ask our next guest, uh, who's covered pro football for USA Today since 1993, member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee since 1997. It's time to make some noise for Jared Bell. Jared, thanks for doing this. Jeff, what's happening, man? 
So we just saw this feature uh, with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. They were the features, and obviously both of them now are going to be beneficiaries of having better receivers. Tyreek Hill's in Miami. Jalen Waddle was already there in Philly. It's A.J. Brown. Uh, of all the second-year quarterbacks, uh, who, who has the most pressure on them this season? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I actually think that, and there's a couple others that we have to just mention as the candidates, mm -hmm. right? Justin Fields with the Bears. And I think maybe Trey Lance has um, more pressure because we've not seen him yet except for, you know, some spot duty last year. But for the 49ers to go through the process of saying, okay, we're going to turn it over to this kid who we, you know, traded up for, tremendous amount of pressure. Now, in Tua's case and even more so in Trey Lance's case, there are veteran backup quarterbacks, mm -hmm. right? So if Trey Lance doesn't get it done, Jimmy G's right there to step back in, right? And the 49ers know kind of what they have with Jimmy Garoppolo. He took him to a Super Bowl. Um, in Tua's case, it's Teddy Bridgewater who has been a journeyman but is still a really good quarterback who can get it done for you. So I think there's that pressure. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I think when you start thinking about it on another level, too, um, you know, the kid in Philadelphia, yeah, they could win that division if he plays well, okay? And so there's that pressure. I don't know if anyone is expecting Miami to win the division over Buffalo. So there's pressure you could slice a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, Tua's got it, but so does Trey Lance and Justin Fields up in Chicago as well. Yeah, let's, let's go to Fields for a second, who has the talent, uh, that's no question. New coaching staff in Chicago. Uh, I think that's a step in the right direction, quite frankly. But does he have yeah. the rest of the personnel in Chicago? Like, are they surrounding him with enough talent so that he can actually succeed? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And out of all the, the, the four quarterbacks we just mentioned, I think he's got the, the, the least amount of talent around him. So that's going to put tremendous pressure on him just when you start talking about a young quarterback needing mm -hmm. a surrounding cast. Now, they've got a good vibe going so far right now for this time of year because the Bears were undefeated in preseason. And, you know, I don't know how much that really matters um, in the grand scheme of things, but you – you know, at least it's the positive when you're talking about a, a team that's rebuilding and really trying to find an identity, trying to gain some confidence. So they have that, and like you said, new coaching staff. So, um, it, yeah, should be improved in that regard. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the surrounding cast. Uh, speaking of finding an identity, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars for a second. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, mm. I mean, I'm a football fan like everybody else. I was surprised by his step from Clemson to the National Football League. He was really the most hyped prospect coming out of college since basically Andrew Luck. And I don't think yeah. he took that step. But now, again, similar situation with Justin Fields, new coaching staff. Is he set up to succeed in Jacksonville? Better than he was before under Urban Meyer, no mm -hmm. doubt about that. I saw the Jags. Um, Saw him last weekend in the preseason game. He didn't play. But they had joint practices with the Falcons for two days last week, and I got a chance to look at him there. But, you know, I saw him last year in practice, and he looked great too. Um, but I think Doug Peterson, 
being the coach uh, compared to Urban Meyer and, you know, what a mess that was for Jacksonville and how it disintegrated so fast um, was was the deal. The thing with Trevor Lawrence, and I asked him this in the, in, in the press conference last week, obviously he's got to cut down on the turnovers. Yeah. But how many young quarterbacks can you say that about, right? Um, but, yeah, generational talent, the pressure's there. It's great for him to have Travis Etienne, um, his, his former Clemson running back, in the mix now, and they they went out and they got s- some help at wide receiver. I don't know if they they have a number one wide receiver. I think they overpaid yeah. for the wide receivers, but they definitely have you know more people around him. So I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance to take a step up, but that's not saying a lot in terms of um, record wise because look where Jacksonville was last year. So <laughs> it's still going to be a, a steep a, a learning curve, but he will be better. And I think Doug Peterson will definitely make him better. And the offensive coordinator is, is a young, you know, rising star. If you, if you listen to some people coach impress Taylor, um, who worked with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, he's the younger brother of Zach Taylor, the, the Bengals coach. And so they've got some people around him who have some pretty strong credentials mm-hmm. as opposed to Urban Meyer had the wonderful credentials on the college level, but hadn't done it in the NFL and, and proved to be um, not the fit for, for the NFL. So, yeah, I, I expect Trevor Lawrence will make um, a huge jump, at, at least a significant jump, even if it doesn't show up in the win-loss record to make them a playoff contender. I think it's a bit early for that, but, you know, they'll be better. And their defense is better, and and Doug Peterson um, has a has a little bit of a history of of developing some quarterbacks. Baby steps, right? Baby steps. Uh, okay, let's get to the news of the day. Uh, the Denver Broncos locking up Russell Wilson five years, two hundred and forty five million dollars. Uh, who is this better for? Is this better for Russ, who's getting paid, or is it better for the Denver Broncos, who finally have some stability at the quarterback position? Oh, it's definitely better for Russell Wilson because, um, you know, it, it may be his last big contract, right? I think it was good for the Denver Broncos to get Russell Wilson in the trade that they were able to, to swing with the Seattle Seahawks just to give them some stability. You know, he had a couple years left on his contract, so it wasn't like a Lamar Jackson situation where it's like, okay, when's this contract going to come? I mean, we knew they were talking Mm -hmm. and something was going to get done, but it wasn't with the same type of pressure as you have with, with other players and with Lamar Jackson being the notable quarterback out there. But it does give them some stability, but I don't know how good their coach is. I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett is really going to be um, the next Sean Payton or if he's going to be the next Rob Chazinski, right? You know, you're talking about a, a young coach getting his opportunity, had success with Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. okay? But, I mean, Jeff, you'd have success with Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I think that's the, the jury is still out on Nathaniel Hackett, but you asked about the Broncos organization. I think when you look back to where they were a few months ago with the franchise um, up for sale, I think getting Russell Wilson just kind of helped that in terms of potential buyers, whatever price you come up with when you're trying to you know, swing a big deal like that. It's better to have a quarterback in place and, and a, a great quarterback with a great identity um, not only as a player, but also as a community guy and as a face of the franchise. So I think the Broncos benefited from that. 
and Russell Wilson benefited just um, by the virtue, you know, by the fact that it, that's the market now. And so he cashed in at the right time. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, all eyes will definitely be on Russell and on their new coach. No question. Uh, you mentioned Lamar Jackson at some point there. Uh, wants a new deal. Doesn't have one. Doesn't have an agent, which is uh, very interesting in this day and age. But Russell Wilson signing his deal. We know that Kyler Murray has signed a deal. Deshaun Watson obviously has his deal as well. Uh, what's going on with Lamar Jackson? Can he risk going into the year like this without a new deal? Well, you, you know, conventional wisdom says he can't, right? And there's still some time to get it done before the season. Remember, uh, T.J. Watt got his deal done mm -hmm. last year, right before the season. So I think there's still that possibility. But the interesting thing, as you mentioned with Lamar Jackson, is that he doesn't have an agent. And, you know, Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, you know, outstanding young quarterback, I mean, he's going into year two on his new deal, right? So that was done a couple of years ago. Once you, you know, draft a guy and you see him, you know, play out some potential and you say, okay, we got what we thought we were getting, so let's lock him up for a longer term. Well, that hasn't happened with Baltimore, and I think if Lamar Jackson had an agent, that it probably would be done by now, just like it was done with Josh Allen. But Lamar could benefit because – in the time since um, Josh Allen signed his deal, the quarterbacks you just mentioned, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, now Russell Wilson, you know, uh, even Patrick Mahomes, too, all of those deals got done. And so um, Lamar stands to benefit from that. I don't understand why he doesn't have an agent. I, 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 did, I bought it when he came out of the draft, and I remember talking to him about it. And coming out of the draft, his, you know, his rationale was, there's a rookie salary scale, so there's not much difference. It's all about where you get drafted right. in the slot, and the money's going to match it. I, I got that. And he, you know, he had attorneys that, that looked over the paperwork and things like that. But when it comes to doing that next deal, you need somebody that's in constant conversation with the front office, or at least, in, if not constant, you know, uh, regular conversation where it doesn't distract the player and he can be in there pitching and, and getting it done like that. Lamar has shown that he will, you know, march to his own beat, and I think he's done that now. So even if he doesn't get a deal right now and he plays this out for $23 million, they can put the franchise tag on him, and then we can go up through all this next year, yeah. and then they can put the franchise tag on him again. Um, but the risk is look at the type of player that Lamar Jackson is, mm -hmm. right? different type of player. I mean, even though Russell Wilson is a mobile guy and Kyler Murray is Mur is, is, is mobile and, and we've seen more and more quarterbacks and Josh Allen is mobile, right? But Lamar, you always wonder about whether they put too much on him in terms of running the running game. And, that, you know, the season before last, it was spread out, right? And they had two running backs and three running backs plus Lamar, they led the league in rushing, and Lamar was like the bonus to these two and three running backs in the backfield. Yeah. Well, last year, everybody gets hurt, and, and then Lamar picks up the slack. So you don't want to see that again just because of the physical nature of football. But, um, yeah, they, they need to get this done just in terms – and, and I know he needs to get it done in terms of, you know, getting – being able to strike it right now while he can. You know, Dak Prescott got his deal done – couple of years ago with the Cowboys, got it, actually got it done last year coming off of an injury. And 
when when Dak Prescott got hurt, everybody wondered, well, boy, what's this going to do for his contract? Well, turns out he got what he was probably going to get from the Cowboys if he had not gotten hurt, but that is so rare yeah it is hey awesome stuff jared thanks so much for doing this enjoy nfl football back on thursday hard to believe thanks all right thanks a lot jeff time for one last break here on tim and friends we'll get to last call with anthony Caminini. that's coming up in just a little we're going to talk about chicharito or what's what's the deal uh, i think we're done with that chicharito yeah we got some good stuff though all right <laughs> i'm pumped i'm ready to go Rock and roll, baby. This is the maiden voyage for you on the show, and the first time with Last Call. I'm ready to go. I uh, take it away. I gotta tip my cap to you first. Really? I'm not sure viewers fully comprehend the tininess of the tiny test. Oh, How do you balance this? This is tricky, man. I got paid. I feel like if I look in the wrong direction, things are gonna be tumbling down yeah, real fast. I mean, you can you can get a sense for it here because this. I mean, obviously the real estate. There's a lot more over here, and Timmy usually has sheets going all the way over here and uh-huh. whatever whatever but yeah i mean there's you're right well there's done a lot of room over there I well done. Tell all right let's begin a great job, <laughs> thanks, thanks. that's it for, for now <laughs> all right the baltimore orioles are two games back of the blue jays in the wild card race today they're in cleveland to take on the guardians it was a 6 p.m eastern start and baltimore didn't waste any time the o's leadoff man cedric mullins Homered on the first pitch of the game from Shane Bieber of all pitchers. And two batters later, it's Anthony Santander making it 2-0. That's where we currently stand in the top of the third. Should Blue Jays fans be worried about this Orioles team? Uh, Hello. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Ten games against them. They've just called up the best prospect in Major League Baseball, according to Baseball America, Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar. Uh, number two on MLB Pipeline, I should point out. So not a unanimous number one, but I think you get the point. He's good. He's probably number one on Baseball America because of the flow. You see that? Flow? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the, the Orioles. What's amazing about the Orioles is that they're just going for broke here. They, I, I mean, that's got to be a fun environment to be in. It's almost reminiscent of the Blue Jays in the, the 2020 season when they, you know, didn't have the expectations that they do now. And the road warriors and all that stuff and, and they made the playoffs it, i mean it was fun right it was yeah. it was fun and when you're the underdog there is something to be said for that the orioles are certainly the underdog this season but they're playing some good baseball and look out toronto blue jays they're gonna have to make hay with the 10 games against the baltimore orioles that's for sure it's not even just for this season it's future seasons right like mm-hmm. baltimore's gonna be an issue they're for good. many many years to come welcome the al east baby yeah no kidding all right it was an historic win for Czechia today, the Women's World Hockey Championships. They beat Finland 2-1 in overtime to advance to the semifinals for the first time ever, setting off quite the party in the dressing room. Nice. As our uh, resident dancing expert. Oh, really? I have a title. How do you now? rate that okay. celebration? Dancing expert. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's outstanding. Just uh, unbridled joy. That's what we want to see, right? Good Love for that. good for Czechia. Good for them, man. I mean, that is uh, that is a party and a half. I mean, that's that's the place to do it, right? Yeah. Right after a win. I mean, what sports is all about. They'll probably remember that for the rest of their lives. It's awesome. Yeah. No, good. Good for Czechia. Uh, probably going to be the end of the road now <laughs> against the Americans, but it's okay. Nonetheless, they enjoyed that celebration for sure. 100%. All right, let's get to some golf talk. The Good fourth, too. Good the fourth Live Golf event begins tomorrow just outside of Boston. Cam Smith is the latest high-profile golfer to join the Breakaway Tour. Smith 
has five-year exemption to all majors as a result of his win at the British Open this year. But he said yesterday he felt it was unfair that players won't earn world rankings points in live events, which will affect their ability to qualify for majors. Give it a listen. It's really a shame that we're not getting world ranking points out here. I think, um, you know, to have 48 of the best, you know, guys around the world playing um, and not to get world ranking points, I think, is... Uh, perhaps a little bit unfair. I hope that these world ranking points will sort themselves out um, before my exemption is up. Um, you know, I think to the fans of major championship golf, it may be a little bit unfair on them. Um, I think, you know, majors is about having the best guys in the best field on the best golf courses. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can sort that out. Do you feel bad for him? Feel bad Apparently for him. not. <laughs> feel bad for him. The guy just made over $100 million yeah. to go play in eight tournaments a year. What's he complaining about? I mean, we're going to get in a situation here where the major tournaments are going to have to make a decision of whether these guys are going to be allowed to play at all. And the, you know, the rumors are that the Masters are not going to invite them back, which, I mean, that's significant. And we'll have to see that when it happens. Do I feel bad for Cam Smith? Not at all. The guy's bank account has $100 million in it. And he doesn't even have to play that much anymore. He has said that he doesn't, in golf, he enjoys it, but it is not his number one passion. Mm. I believe he likes indulging in a few beers from time to time. He's a fisher, fisher. as well. Uh, so he has other hobbies uh, outside of golf. So now he's got $100 million to go to do whatever he wants, has a lot of more free time on his hands. I do not feel bad for Cam Smith. The World Golf Rankings thing will need to get sorted. I don't, I don't care about that. I, I think it kind of does. That. Don't leave. I mean, yeah, yes, you're right. Like, it does. It, it affects certain things. Like, it obviously affects President's Cup, Ryder Cup, yeah. and those things are significant. You, you as a fan, us as fans, we want to see the best players going up against the best players. So, yes, in that sense, I would like to see it sorted out. But don't come up here and complain when you literally just jump ship. You're one of the burgeoning stars on the PGA Tour, and now you're gone. Like, just, just keep it quiet for a little bit, yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. It would be the right thing to do, maybe? I, I think it would be. You're <laughs> yeah. right. You're right. Um, reminder to our viewers, we have a Golf Town promotion giving away a gift card. Sending in your a picture of your worst golf club in your bag. Already some good submissions. It was, I was perusing through. I saw the old Nike Sasquatch square club head, which I owned, which made the worst sound in the history of the world. I couldn't wait to get rid of that thing, so I saw an old one, old three wood of that. That was pretty well, good. Well, unfortunately for you, I don't think that you can win. I can't win, no. No, that, I mean, you just read out the contest, so I don't think that you qualify, but just like Ailish didn't qualify for the Fisher expedition, and Dan Schulman obviously said he wanted to do the buck thing, neither of them qualified, but it's all good. Someone will win. Okay, so send us everything you got. Uh, that is it for us. Excellent work today. Just a blast. fantastic job here on Tim and Friends. Uh, live now, you got the Orioles and the Guardians. That's on Sportsnet 1. Rangers, Red Sox coming up next. Brewers, Diamondbacks, 9.30 Eastern, Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet Now. I will be back tomorrow with Ailish Forfar to wrap up the week. Thanks again, Tones. We will see you all tomorrow.